0: Turn back to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. Tonight we'll probably begin in verse 11. Remember, last week we looked at Peter and John going into the temple. They were going there to preach the gospel. Remember that he told them to tarry in Jerusalem till they were endued with power from on high. He said, beginning at Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. Our Lord said, he said, I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners unto repentance. I'm not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And he's going to send his gospel to them first. To them, to the those who had the prophets, those who were did know who the prophets read, were read every, every week in the synagogues, and they should have known about him that had come, but they didn't. But Peter and John are going into the temple, and while they're going into the temple, there lay a, a, a man lame, forty years old, who had never walked, asking alms or begging for for some type of help, and he was probably begging for, as you, I didn't even notice it until I read it, where it said, you are not redeemed with silver and gold from your vain conversation. This man wanted silver or gold. That's why all, he was thinking. He, was not, he had been laying there for 40 years. He's probably not even thinking about ever being recovered from being lame and ever being able to walk. He's never walked. But Peter said, Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. So there's no misunderstanding who did this. He's doing it in his name, in his authority, in his power. Because he said, all power has been given unto me in heaven and earth. And when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, it's going to empower you with God's spirit and enable you to preach the gospel. And he said, told that man, he said, rise up and walk. What he told the man to do, he did not have the physical ability to do. God commands a man to repent, and he is required to repent. But the only way he can repent is for God to enable him to repent. But with the command, now listen to this, comes the ability. He told him to rise and walk, and Peter reached down his hand and said, immediately, that man stood and his feet, and his ankle bones received strength to support his body. It isn't that he stood up and wobbled. It isn't that he staggered. No, he walked. You know, like I said, we have to teach children to walk, and it takes a process. This man stood. What a miracle. What a miracle of grace. And they go into the temple. He goes in with Peter and John, and they go in to worship. And this man's praising God. He's not praising Peter and John. He's praising the Lord. He knows who's done the work. God gave him faith to believe. And those people inside that temple had seen this man before. You imagine over 40 years, a lot of people had saw him. And they said, we know who that is. But how's he walking? I know this much. What I see here is God got their attention. You know, they're probably going through the motions of their religions. These are the same people. These are the same people that stood in an angry mob probably just a couple of months earlier, and cried, crucify the Son of God. And now they're so pious going through their religious routine, and now they see this man walking. But, you know, they had had to have heard about Christ doing miracles. It says here, we're going to see tonight, that that they come to Solomon's porch of great wondering. Our Lord came to that porch when he came to the temple. But this man, here he was, lame, but he's got the people's attention. God displayed his grace for everybody to see. A miracle. Not everybody did miracles, only the apostles. They were given the ability. But it was not them that healed that man. It was Christ that healed that man. Now, God used Peter as an instrument, but Christ is the one who gets all of the glory. The people saw and they knew, they saw and they knew who this man was. This man that was once lame now walks. As I thought about this lame man, we are lame by nature. We have no ability to come to God. We have no ability to walk in the ways of God. And all our desire is for is silver and gold, something to just ease our physical condition. But this man now walks in the ways of God. He walked into the temple without any aid. He went there. He wanted to. He wanted to worship. And part of worship, one of the greatest parts of worship is praise, the offering of thanksgiving. This man was delivered. He walked on his own. But what, was the, what we're going to look at is the response of these people. When they saw this man and knew it was lame, they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened to him. Carol made a good statement last Wednesday night. She said, he wasn't faking. He wasn't pretending to be a cripple for 40 years and then, you know, some way they do now and to pretend that he's healed. No, this man was healed. Can you just imagine the thoughts that are going on in this man's mind? How This can't be real. But it said the people were filled with wonder and amazement. The word wonder means... To be dumbfounded, to be astonished. Amazement means to be bewildered. What men don't understand, it dumbfounds them and it makes them bewildered. They didn't understand. How can this be? It's like how men don't understand how God saves sinners. They see a change in a person that God is wrought, and they don't understand it. They said, He's not the same person. Yeah, he's the same person. He just has life. This was the same man, he just now walks. Now here in verse eleven and twelve. And as the lame man which was healed, held Peter and John, and all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called. Solomon's greatly wondering. And when Peter saw it, he answered the people, You men of Israel, why marvel you at this? Why do you marvel at this man being able to walk? Or why look you so earnestly on us as though we healed this man? As though by our own power or holiness we've made this man to walk here we see tonight in this sermon Paul I mean Peter's going to explain how this man is made whole how can this be they're just marvelled who did this he Peter knows that they're filled with wonder he can tell they're they're looking at I could see them looking at Peter and John and begin to whisper. Who who are these men? Look what they're able to do. They are curious. They want to find out what happened. They are amazed at the mighty work that was performed. And they thought Peter and John had did it. They didn't. The Lord did. But see, they don't know this. They're ignorant. We're going to see that in a little bit. They were ignorant. Ignorant. The first thing that Peter did, and here we see how as I studied the message, some people said, well, this is how we're supposed to preach the gospel. It's not only how I'm supposed to preach the gospel. It's how all of us are to deal with sinners. It's not who you are and what you do. It's what Christ does maybe through you. And people said, look what he did. No, it's not what you did. It's what he did. The first thing he did was to take the people's attention away from the man that was healed he takes their attention from the act of the healing and focuses their attention on Christ, who is the great healer. That's the first thing they need to see. It's not about the man that was healed. It's not about Peter and John. It's about Christ, who did the healing, because most of these people think he was, that Christ was, is dead, he was an imposter, and he was a fake. Remember what they said one day to him? You do miracles to Beelzebub, the prince of the devil. That's what most people thought. They try to sweep it under the rug, say it never happened. As I mentioned here, it said this. They are gathered here at this place called Solomon's Porch. It was this place that Jesus met the Jewish leaders when he came to Jerusalem was a celebration of the dedicated feast. There in John 10, 22 and 23, it was after Jerusalem, at Jerusalem, the feast of dedication, and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. He walked this place literally, and they didn't recognize him. They didn't recognize him. He said, I'm the shepherd of the sheep. I give my life for the sheep. Peter is telling these people that there is one greater than Solomon here. We know Solomon was a picture of our Lord, but he said a greater than Solomon is here, and a greater than Solomon has done this. He met these people at their point of interest, what they were inquiring about. Who did this? How, how did you do this? Okay, he's got, got, God's got their curiosity up. They're, he's got their attention. He says, why are you so amazed? He asked him a pointed question. "Why, Why are you so amazed? Don't you remember just a few days earlier when he raised a man from the dead named Lazarus? They knew about it. They even went to even kill Lazarus. Because they said, we can't let this go on. We can't let word get out that you raised a man from the dead. He said, why aren't you so amazed that God's able to deliver a sinner? People, Peter's going to the temple. He's going to worship. And he's, not, he's expecting the Lord to do something. When we pray, when we come to meet together, do we expect the Lord to do something? Do we expect the Lord to manifest his presence? I used to hear Henry say, old writers would say, We preach for a verdict. We preach expecting men to believe. He's going to the He's going to the temple to preach the gospel. And he knows why he's going. He knows where he's sent to go. And he's, I mean, he's amazed, but he's not amazed. Hey, God's wondered, we should never get over the amazement of God's grace. But listen, God reveals his power. And he did to these people. Then they couldn't understand. Peter's not amazed at Christ's power to save. He'd seen him. He'd saw him do wonderful works. He, he'd seen him heal the sick and raise the dead. He'd seen him he seen him. And Peter, verse 12, would not allow those people to give him any credit. Him or John, he wouldn't allow it. Men today love to be called reverent. They love to be called doctors. They love to be called by many titles. That's why I pointed out when Peter wrote and when Paul wrote, when they began their epistles, they begin by, I'm just Paul. I'm just Paul, who happens to be apostle. He's not bragging around, well, I'm, one, I'm the apostle Paul. I'm, I'm Peter, you know. They didn't want titles. We're going to see on over in the book of Acts when, when Paul healed this man, him and Barnabas, they wanted to worship him as gods. And he said, don't be doing that. We're not gods. We're nothings. We're nobodies. And Peter lets them know it's not because of anything in us. God's servants must never be idolized. That's what they were doing in the book of Corinthians in the church at Corinth. They said, I, I'm a Paul. I'm, I like to hear Paul preach. I, I like to hear Peter or Cephas or Barnabas preach. I just want to hear of Christ, you know. They were complaining, he said, are you not carnal and walk as men? They're just men. And about the time you put one of God's preachers up on a pedestal and worship him, God will show you he's just a man. The best of men are men at best. I've seen men do, and they were great men, great men, greatly used of God, they did things that they were certain it was the Lord's will for them to do it. and it was proven afterward it was nothing but a mess. Now it was still God's will and God's purpose, but God showed him and every one of us, just a man. Just a man. This is the only thing I have in common with the apostles is we both preach Christ. We don't have the ability. We're not inspired. We don't have the ability to do miracles. And Paul, Peter is telling them that they are guilty of murdering the Son of God. now in verse 13. In mean, verses 13 through 16. Let me read. In the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now, they knew who this was. You know why? Because they were Jews. The God of our fathers hath glorified his son, Jesus, whom you delivered up, and you denied him in the presence of Pilate, when Pilate was determined to let our Lord go, and he said, I find no fault in him. But you denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you and killed the prince of life whom God hath raised from the dead whereof we are witnesses. And in his name, through faith in his name, hath made this man strong, whom you see and know, yea, the faith which is by him that by Him hath given him the perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Peter has these people's attention. It's not focused on him. It's focused on Christ. They know who Jesus Christ is. This thing was not done in a corner. He did his ministry for three to three and a half years. They knew knew who he was, and he knows they know who he is. And they know what they've done. They may not have realized what they've done, but they know they denied him. They know that that Pilate said, I find no fault in him. They said, kill him. We don't want him. And now that's brought before their attention. Like I said, he has their attention. And he's going to show them who Christ is and what Christ has done and what they did and what they did. He is the true and living God. He's the God of Abraham. They always speak this way. He's the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God raised up Abraham and brought in this whole nation of Israel. He's showing them that He is the promised Messiah. They didn't believe Him as the Messiah, they thought He was a fake. And that the Jesus that you crucified, the one you crucified, you crucified him. Blood's on your hands. That's what he's saying. He's God. And he didn't stay dead. God raised him from the dead. Can you imagine hearing that? You mean he's not dead? We've seen him die. But most of them never saw him raised from the dead. For to this end, Christ both died and rose and revived that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. You know, they probably thought he's just some little weak somebody, you know. He's just, he's from a town called Nazareth and, you know, he's just meek and lowly. No, he's God. And the Lord's going to use this occasion and he's brought these people here just for this reason. He saved this man. He saved that man on purpose, that lame man, to save save these people that were in that temple that day. He He got their interest. The focus has to be off of that man and everything else. The focus has to be upon Christ. And then he exposes their sin. I've heard people say before, and it's, I take it as a good compliment. They said, why didn't he just preach to me? That ain't how I intended it. But I'm glad they heard. That's how the Lord works. And you feel like, it, 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 I've had people to tell me, say, you must have been in the car with us riding down the road to church this morning. The very thing we were talking about. That's how the Lord works. That's how he deals with those things. And you do. That's the job of preaching the gospel. When you see Christ, it exposes all that which is false. It exposes all that which is a pretense. And your sin has to be exposed because He kills and He makes alive. He wounds before He heals. This is how the Lord works. He told them what they had done. You chose a murderer. You knew he was a murderer. No question about it. you chose a murderer over the Son of God? That's what you did. And I go, "Really?" They were probably worked up in such a frenzy they probably didn't even know what they were doing. They were just crying out like everybody else. But he said, "This is what you did. Have you even stopped to think about? Have we ever really pondered about what we did? We were all there. We all had a hand in it. Their sin is exposed. As a preacher of the gospel, we dig, we dig, and we dig until we find the point of man's rebellion. And if I find the point of your rebellion... And God allows me by his spirit, I'm going to, he takes his finger and he does this right here. He finds that sore spot and he ain't letting up. Wherever your point of rebellion is, say, I'm not bowing to that. He won't let up on it. Say, I wish he'd quit dealing with that. Here's an example. There was a man that came to Rupert Rivenbach's church many years ago. And he actually was referring to that text I read you earlier in First Peter. He said it says, "God says, "Be ye holy, for I am holy." And he said, "If God commands me to be holy, I guess I can be holy." And you know what Rupert said? He said, "I'm going to preach on that, I'm going to preach on it, I'm going to keep hitting on it, I'm going to keep hammering on it till one or two things happens. Either he bows or he leaves. You know what he did? He left. A man thinks he can make himself holy. Our holiness is in Christ. But here Peter stands and he exposes it. He exposes their sin. He reminds them of it. You know what happens? We're able to think about it and we, we ought to feel guilty. guilty. None of us like to feel guilty, but it, it's good to feel guilty. Guilty. They weren't guilty. Until sinners are made to see, and not only to see, but to confess their sin, they will never trust Christ. If you ever really see your sin, you'll see there's nothing you can do about it. That you can't remove one sin. But most of the time, what we want to do, we want to be like Adam. When we're exposed in our nakedness, we want to look for something to cover it up. We want to hide it. And these our conscience. Third thing that Peter did, he declared what Christ had done. He satisfied the demands of God's law. God raised him from the dead. That's what he's done. He's put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. If you just ask most people, if the Lord ever gives you an opportunity, like, Corey, like, you know, you would sit down that time with all those men and allows things to come up. Well, what, you could ask them a question. Ask questions. Say, what did Jesus do when he died? Why did he die? Who did he die for? Did he accomplish anything when he died and shed his blood? Did he? He's telling them. He died. He's finished it. You think about it. He's put away sin. Put away sin. He preached Christ raised from the dead. He was delivered for our offenses, and he was raised again for our justification. Well, why did he die? To satisfy the justice of God. The wages of sin is death. The soul that sinneth, it must die. Why didn't he stay dead? Because God accepted his sacrifice as the atonement for sin. And proof of that, God raised him from the dead for our and your justification. Where God can declare you as righteous, justified in his sight. And then he proclaimed the power of God to save Sinners, he's not some weak Jesus. His arms not shortened that he can't save. His ears not heavy that he can't hear. It's the the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. He didn't preach some little sermonette. He preached the gospel. He preaching the gospel is declaring to men who Jesus Christ is. He's Lord. He rose from the dead. And God said he made his own right hand and made him Lord. People don't know that. They think they control God. They accept Jesus when they want to. They make him Lord. That ain't the gospel. That ain't how Peter preached. That's not how any of them in the New Testament preached. Well, how did we get so far away? They preach everything else but Christ. Paul said, I don't want to know anything among you but Jesus Christ And him crucified. You want men hate more than anything else? Substitution. Particular redemption. Limited atonement. Whichever term you want to use, they hate him. They hate the one who died. That's it. But then, verses 17 and 18, and now, look how he called them. Brethren. He didn't call them a bunch of rebels, which they were. And now, brethren, he come down to where they were at. You know, they probably said, We never heard anybody speak like this. Now they and if they'd never heard Christ. And now, brethren, I walk not that through ignorance you did it, as did your rulers. Verse eighteen. But those things which God before has showed by the mouth of all of his prophets that Christ should suffer, he hath also fulfilled. Their conscience are pricked. Their sin has been exposed. But he didn't, God didn't leave them right there. Now he preaches hope. There's hope, Why? Jesus Christ is the blessed hope. Without Christ and Him rising from the dead, we have no hope after we die. He is our hope. And you know what? He gives these people hope. Hope. Their conscience is wounded. Now He sets out to heal their wounded conscience. Like I said, He wounds. And you know, thank goodness He heals. They are guilty, but let me tell you this, there's hope for guilty sinners. Can you imagine they say, man, I never really thought about what we did. I never really considered much how bad I am. Can there be any hope? For somebody, is there any hope for anybody like us? Oh, yeah. He didn't leave them alone. Here's what Paul said. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. If I'm the chief, the head, the worst one, if I'm the chief of sinners, he said God can save anybody. Why did Christ come into the world? Why did he come? He didn't come to condemn the world. He came that the world through him might be saved. That's why he came. Why did he send Peter and John to the temple? He went there to save sinners. Why does God still raise up gospel churches and still raise up gospel preachers? Because he has sinners that have to be saved because he gave his life for them. Now they see their guilt, but he speaks to them in kind, gracious words. Someone said one time, it's like like feeding chickens. You can go out and you can take a handful of corn and you can drop the corn around your feet. You know what them little chickens will do? They'll just run right up to you and start just picking it up. But if you take the same corn and you throw it at the chickens, they'll run. Peter speaks in grace and mercy. He spoke on the same level. And he spoke comfort to them. Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people. No, sir, it said... Let me find it. Verse 17, now, I, now, brethren, I walk not that through ignorance you did this. The Amplified says, now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, not fully aware of what you were doing, as just as your rulers also did. He said, you did it in ignorance. You know what our Lord said on the cross Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And they didn't. Ignorant in unbelief. And then he said he even includes the rulers. So not all the rulers. Some of them did it in ignorance. I know one who was a ruler, Paul, who was on the Sanhedrin. He could have been sitting there with the high priest when they sentenced our Lord to death. You know what he said? Here's what what Paul said, who was before a blasphemer. I was a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. He said, I was just plumb ignorant. We were all ignorant. Well, I remember us used to play games. Maybe some of you God has delivered you from. You never had to go through that. But most of us come out of religion. And we did what we did ignorantly in unbelief. But those things which God before has showed, verse 18, by the mouth of all the prophets that Christ should suffer, he has also fulfilled he's telling them what Christ did. He's just fulfilling the Old Testament scriptures. That's all they had. That's that's what they were taught. Now, these people are not ignorant to what the word of God is. Now, they were ignorant to what the word of God said, but they knew it in their head because they were exposed to it. Not everybody was exposed to it. The Jews were. Who were the prophets sent to the Jews? Who was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? They were the father of that nation. And what Christ, God said, is fulfilled. You know what he's saying? This is the fulfillment of prophecy. What's Peter going to preach? He's going to preach the Old Testament prophecies. Christ died according to the scriptures. Remember those on the road to Emmaus? He said, why is it that you're slow, so slow to believe what the prophets have written? That Christ should suffer and die, and he showed them from the scriptures how they spoke of him. They knew, like most people today, they carry the same Bible you do, but they have no idea what the meaning of that book is. That's how these Jews were. They were a a blessed people. Look what God had given them. And he first takes the gospel. He didn't take it to the Gentiles first. He said, you go to a Jewish synagogue. You go to the temple and took the gospel to those people. And he could have just kicked them under the rug and left them to themselves, but he didn't. Because there was a remnant in that nation according to the election of grace. God has fulfilled what he spoke. God fulfills all of his prophecies in Christ, every one of them, even when our Lord was on the cross and he remembered that he said that he thirsted, And he said, I thirst, and they gave him vinegar to drink. And even after he died, it was prophesied that not a bone of his body was to be broken. Every scripture is fulfilled in him. They're gone. Oh, this is what that means. Oh, this is the fulfillment of prophecy, yes. he He's telling them that Christ has come to do what he was purposed to do. Peter told them in Acts chapter 2, in that message, he said, you took our Lord, you took him, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain him, But you did exactly what God intended you to do. Now verse 19. He's told them he's exposed their sin. He's turned their attention to Christ. He's told them what they've done. He told them who God is and what Christ has done, how he's fulfilled the scriptures. What are they to do? Repent. Our Lord said, except you repent, you'll perish except we repent and turn from our idols and turn to the living and true God, we'll perish. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the time of refreshing shall come. From the presence of the Lord, and He shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heavens must receive, unto the time of restitution of all things, which God hath spoken by the mouth of all of His holy prophets since the world began. Imagine a man; he's standing there. He's convicted. He's heard. He's who heard who Christ is. Heard what He's done that he's sitting upon the throne, now what's he to do? Repent. God grants repentance. He gives repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. Then that your sins may be blotted out. You know, what he said here was the same thing he said in chapter 2. Now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts, and they said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said unto them, point blank, repent. Repent. That your sins may be blotted out, that they might be wiped away. What wonderful news! All my sin are gone? Yeah, they're gone. He's put them away. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. He said, repent that your sins may be blotted out when the time of refreshing may come from the Lord. What he's saying is there will be a period of refreshing, and that's what we have here. What a time. They'd been in darkness all these years, and now it's like like living out in the desert, and you feel a cool breeze. Being in religion for, for, forever, all your lives, all you know, all this man knows was being laying there lame, no hope. A time of refreshing, on oh man. There's nothing more refreshing than the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's like a cool drink of water. It's like good news from a far country. And this all comes from the Lord. The time of refreshing is a time of grace, a time of forgiveness, and a time of reconciliation. You mean God would forgive these people? Well, sure he would. And he did. He came to save sinners. We don't seen he saved 3,000 at one time, and he added to the church daily such as should be saved. And Peter, oh, Peter, The least likely of the bunch stands and preaches. Then he says, whom the heavens must receive until the time of restitution of all things. He went back to glory, and he's telling them one day he's coming back. And you know what that's going to be? That's going to be the time of restitution, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. He's saying one day he's coming back. And those that love his appearing, some won't believe the gospel and they're going to be destroyed by the word of his mouth and by the brightness of his coming. Verse 22. For Moses truly said unto his fathers, unto the fathers, they knew who Moses was. Here's what Moses said. A prophet Shall the Lord your God rise up unto you of your brethren like unto me? And him shall you hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. Who's he talking about? He's talking about Christ. He was raised up from among his people. He came into his own and his own received him not. And it shall come to pass that every soul, now watch this, which will not hear. Back in verse 22, he said, him shall you hear. Hear him. He, in the Old Testament, he spoke by the prophets what it says in Hebrews 1.1. But in these last days, God has spoken unto us by his son. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart as in the provocation. These people didn't just hear a man's voice. They heard the Lord's voice. And he says here, and it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet, which will not hear Christ, shall be destroyed from among the people. Son will be given life. He said there's a day coming, a resurrection day, when all that are in the graves are going to hear his voice. Some that come to the resurrection of life and some that come to the resurrection of damnation. Why? They wouldn't hear didn't want to hear, wanting bow. What he's saying, you best repent. He spoke to him in grace and mercy. He spoke to him in kindness, but he said, "You need to remember, there is a day of restitution coming. That same one that he's been preaching to them is sitting on a throne, and he's Lord. You know who's going to judge everybody that ever lived." The Lord Jesus Christ, all judgments have been given into his hand. You think about dying under the law. Moses, a greater than Moses, is risen. A prophet like unto Moses. That's our Lord. He fulfilled the law, satisfied the law. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Verse 24, yea, and all the prophets from Samuel you knew who Samuel is, and those that followed after, as many as have spoken, have likewise foretold of these days. He said, I'm not telling you anything new. He's saying, everything that I'm telling you is based on God's word. And that's what we base everything we say. What does this book say about the Son of God? We find out who he is. We find out what he's like. We find out what he did, why he did it, where he is now, and what he's going to do when he comes back. He said he's told us these things, and he tells these people. He says, verse 25, you are the children of the prophets. And they were. And of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham and in thy seed, shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. Was Israel blessed? Yeah, they were blessed. They were blessed. They were chosen of God. They were chosen of God. God who made himself known to them, God preached to them in the gospel. He preached to them through types and pictures. He preached to them through prophets. He said, all the prophets from Samuel unto this day, they foretold you of these days. This is not nothing new. Well, how did Peter know this? The Lord made it known to Peter. They didn't understand a lot of things even before he died, but he said, after after I've died and risen, I'll teach you these things. And everything that's happening today has been foretold in the scriptures, this is nothing new. He said it would wax worse and worse. Is it getting worse and worse? That's what he said. You're the children of the prophets. And how how, how did God bless the world through them? It was through Abraham's seed, which is Christ, who was born of a virgin woman and came into this world and blessed that nation. He said, I'm not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. You take the gospel to the Jews first. And we're going to see it's plumbed through to chapter 10 before he ever turns to the Gentiles. Why didn't he just leave them alone? We see in Romans 11 where it said, he hath blinded their eyes. That they should not see. Because they wouldn't see. Unto you first. What's that verse 26? Unto you first. Having raised. Unto you first God. Having raised up his son Jesus Christ. Sent him. To bless you. Isn't it amazing how he begins exposing their sin. And now tells them that they're blessed. If you have ever. Heard the gospel one time, you're blessed. You may not believe, it, but you were blessed and allowed to hear it, and they were. He said, Unto you first was the gospel preached. Unto you first! Preached and blessed. He didn't leave them alone, He sent the gospel unto them. We've been blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Unto you, having raised up his son, upon unto you first, God having raised up his son, Jesus sent him to bless you. And how did he bless them? In turning away every one of you from his iniquities. You're not going to turn yourself. But if he turns you, you're going to be turned. (laughs) You think about how blessed a man is God would turn a man from his iniquities. He would turn a man from hating God, and now he loves God. At one time he rejoiced in his iniquities. He was proud of it, and now he's ashamed of it. That's a blessed man. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. And God